scripture here, Joshua chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. Words are on the screen and you can follow along as I read uh, the end of Joshua chapter 5. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy, and Joshua did so. Let's, uh, let's pray together this morning, shall we? Lord, we're thankful for um, a place where we can come and uh, sing and encourage one another and worship you. Lord, thank you for your goodness today. Lord, thank you for your mercies that are new every day. Lord, thank you for the health that we enjoy Thank you for the privilege of being part of the body of Christ. Lord, thank you for the promise of heaven. Thank you for the promise absent from the body, present with the Lord. Now, Lord, we pray that you would bless us, open up our hearts and minds to what you have for us today. Lord, may we be like Samuel and uh, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we have been looking at the book of Joshua, and we're going to continue on with our uh, series on Joshua. It's really a book of transition in one sense. Uh, It's a transition of leadership because uh, the book of Joshua starts out with the fact that Moses, who had been the leader of Israel for 40 years, is is dead. And now a new leader has been chosen. He was Moses' right-hand man. His name is Joshua, and he takes the reins. He takes the leadership of uh, leading the Israelites. It's also a transition because Israel's transitioning from 40 years of wilderness wanderings as part of God's judgment for their unbelief and not going into Canaan when he said the land is yours. And now a whole generation has died off, a new generation has risen, and now they're ready to finally enter into the promised land. And so that's where the book of Joshua begins. Uh, The Israelites are on the edge of the Jordan River. It's at flood stage, and as we looked, God works a miracle. He parts the Jordan River. Two million Israelites cross through on dry ground. And God wanted them to remember that experience of what God had done. And so he commanded 12 men, one from each tribe, to take a rock, really a boulder, from the middle of the Jordan River, carry it across the Jordan, and set up a memorial to remember what God had done at a place called Gilgal. And so last week we looked at the the memorial that they set up, these 12 stones, Gilgal, uh, just about uh, eight miles west of the Jordan River where Israel set up camp. It was to be a reminder of what God had done. It was to be a tutorial for their children, for generations to come when they see this monument and they ask, why are these stones here? You're to tell them about God's great miracle that he did Uh, crossing into the Jordan River. Well, that brings us to Joshua chapter 5. Joshua chapter 5. And we've entitled this Renewal at Gilgal. And so the Israelites, once they crossed the Jordan River, set up camp at a place called Gilgal. And Jericho is not very far off. And they spend a little bit of time here. They spend a few days here. And there are four significant events 
that happened at Gilgal. And we're going to look at these four uh, significant events that happened at Gilgal. And uh, here is the first one from Joshua chapter 5, verses 2 through 9. Circumcision, circumcision. Now, ladies, if the, the males in the audience get a little squeamish as we go through Joshua chapter 5, you'll, you'll see why in just a little bit. But we want to look at what happened here at, at Gilgal. And this is all about renewing the covenant. Renewing the covenant. Now, what is a covenant? Generally speaking, a covenant is a promise between two or more parties to perform certain actions. There are many covenants in the Bible. Uh, one of the first covenants in Scripture is a Noahic covenant. After the universal flood, God said he made a promise. I will never destroy the world with a worldwide flood again. And there was a sign of that covenant of God's promise, the rainbow. There was the Abrahamic covenant. We'll look at that in a little bit. There's the Davidic covenant when God came to David and said, uh, remember, David wanted to build a, a permanent house for God, a permanent worship place. And God said, no, you're not going to do it. Your son will, but I will build a house for you, a lineage for you, David. And from your descendants, someone from your descendants will sit on the Davidic throne forever. And of course, that's fulfilled in Jesus. Marriage is a covenant, isn't it? It's a, it's a promise to, uh, as you stand in front of God and witnesses and family and friends, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, till death do us part. And so circumcision is about renewing the covenant. Now let's look at a little bit of background of uh, the Abrahamic covenant. And we have to go back to the book of Genesis chapter 12 where God calls Abram, his name was Abram originally, and he says to Abram, I will make unto you a great nation. This is Genesis 12, 2. I will bless you and I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Again, that was fulfilled through Jesus because Jesus came through the line of Abraham. So that's part of, of the covenant. There's also, as we learned, that part of the Abrahamic covenant was the land that God gave to Israel, and that's what the book of Joshua is all about. They're claiming their inheritance. But there was a sign that God gave to the Jews to symbolize the uh, Abrahamic covenant. And uh, that covenant was renewed all through the book of Genesis several times. God renewed the covenant with Abram. So Genesis 12, Abram was 75 years old when he got that call to be the father of um, a great nation. Now in Genesis 17, Abram is 99 years old, and God renews the covenant. First of all, he changes his name. Your name is Abram. I'm going to call you Abraham. You are going to be the father of many. This is Genesis chapter 17. I'm going to give you some land. Uh, the promised land. But then we get to verses 10 through 12 of Genesis 17. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between you and me. So Abraham, the sign of this Abrahamic covenant 
where I will bless the whole world through you, where I will give you the promised land, the sign of that covenant is circumcision. Now, when we read the Old Testament, we need to make sure we keep in line the different uh, rules and regulations and laws that Israel has. There's the moral law, which is for all of us. Thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery. That's the moral law. There's, but also in the Old Testament, there's the civil law and the ceremonial law. Those were the civil laws were the rules that governed the nation of Israel. The ceremonial laws were the rules that governed their religious practices. And so this falls under the, the ceremonial law given to the, the Israelites. That is a sign of the covenant. Every male child at the age of eight days was to be circumcised. We see that in the New Testament, don't we? When Jesus is born and Mary and Joseph bring him uh, to the temple to to uh, have uh, have him circumcised and have him named. Uh, that was the time that they also gave the name. So that's uh, that's the covenant. And uh, we need to go back now to Joshua chapter 5 and um, read exactly what happened here at Gilgal. And I'm going to read uh, six or seven verses here. So this is Joshua 5, 2. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gibeath Harloth. Now this is why he did so. All those who came out of Egypt, all the men of military age, died in the wilderness on the way after leaving Egypt. All the people that came out had been circumcised but all the people born in the wilderness during the journey from Egypt had not. Ah, so here's why they're doing this. Apparently during the 40-year wilderness wanderings, for whatever reason, the, the covenant was not kept. The sign of the covenant was not followed. They didn't, they didn't circumcise that generation. And now God comes to Joshua and as they're preparing to go into the, the promised land, as they're preparing to go into to, to military mode, he says, I want you to circumcise all those men that have not been circumcised. And uh, so that was significant event number one. And uh, that's what happened. And it says in verse 8, And after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained where they were in camp until they were healed. So they took some days Uh, For healing here, Uh, verse 9, Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the place has been called Gilgal to this day. This was a time of new beginning. Now they're in the promised land, and and, uh, they've neglected keeping the the covenant of circumcision. And now they're following God's law. And uh, it's a time of renewal and a time of new beginning. But there was a second significant event that happened there at Gilgal in Joshua chapter 5, and it was the Passover, the Passover. Remember the crossing. So you remember what the Passover was all about, how 40 years earlier the Israelites had been in Egyptian bondage for 400 years, and finally God raises up Moses, and they have the 10 plagues, and and Pharaoh begins to waffle, and he lets him go, and then he changes his mind and says, no, you're not going. And finally, the last plague was the death of the firstborn. 
that the death angel was going to sweep through the camp. And, and the, the firstborn son in every family would be killed unless you had the blood of the lamb on your doorpost. And if you did that, then the death angel would pass over you. And that was the night that Israel um, was delivered from their bondage of 400 years of slavery and the story of the crossing of the Red Sea. And Passover was given so they would never, ever forget that it was through the blood of the Lamb that they had been redeemed and rescued. And so in verse 10, it says, On the evening of the 14th day of the month, now that's when that's the, the anniversary of the first Passover. Forty years earlier was the first Passover. Uh, the Israelites had probably observed Passover one other time. So this is the third Passover that they had observed. And one of the reasons why these events are in chronological order, they did the circumcision of the males first, and then the Passover is related to Exodus chapter 12. Verses 48 and 49. Let me read it. You don't have to turn there. Exodus 12, 48 and 49. It says, A foreigner residing among you who wants to celebrate the Lord's Passover must have all the males in his household circumcised. Then he may take part like one born in the land. No uncircumcised male may eat it. The same law applies both to the native-born and to the foreigner residing among you. Ah, the Old Testament law said that no uncircumcised male can partake of the Passover. And so that's why they did the the renewal of the covenant, the circumcision. And now for the first time in probably almost 40 years, the nation of Israel uh, observes uh, the Passover that joyous celebration so they would never, ever forget what God had done for them. Well, there's a third significant event that happened at Gilgal. Not only circumcision, renewing the covenant, not only observing the Passover, remembering the crossing through the Red Sea, but the third one is the cessation of manna, verses 11 and 12. Manna, God's provision of food for Israel, during almost 40 years of wilderness wanderings. Where do you get food in the desert? Where do you get food in, in, in the wilderness? There's, there's, no, uh, there's no bushes, there's no mires, there's no fast food places. And God, for 40 years, made a provision of food for the Israelites called manna. And let me go back to Exodus chapter 16 and read about God's provision of manna in uh, Exodus 16. Uh, the Israelites are starting to grumble. They, they've just gone through the Red Sea, and now they're uh, saying, hey, we, we kind of like some of that food that we got back in Egypt. Uh, and they're grumbling and complaining. And so God says to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So uh, five days a week, manna was there. On the sixth day, God wanted them to get twice as much because on the Sabbath, the, the, the manna would not be there. 
And for 40 years, every day, let's go get breakfast. It's, it's out on the front lawn. And they, they gather this manna, and the word manna really means what is it? And when it first appeared, uh, the Israelites were saying, what is it? And Moses said, yep, what is it? That's it. It's called manna. And I don't know what manna was like, uh, some sort of bread-like substance. I don't know what manna tasted like. Um, you know, maybe they had cookbooks 101 ways to cook manna. But God faithfully provided manna in the desert during those wilderness wanderings for the nation of Israel. But something happened when they crossed the Jordan River and got into the, the promised land. The manna stopped because now Israel was in a land that, as the scribes, as the spies rather, described as flowing with milk and honey. Now you're not in the wilderness. Now you're not in the desert. Now you're in a lush land. Let me read how Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 7, 8, and 9 describe it. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with brooks, streams, deep springs gushing out into the valleys and hills, a land with wheat, barley, vines, and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing. Oh, you don't need manna anymore now. Why? Because you're in a land of plenty. You're in a land flowing with milk and honey. And God, in his perfect timing, uh, stopped the manna. This 40-year miracle ceased uh, on the day after the Passover on the 15th day of the first month. And uh, that's what verse 12 says in, in Joshua chapter 5. It says the manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year they ate the produce of Canaan. And so the third significant event that happened at Gilgal, circumcision, the renewal of the covenant, Passover, remembering the crossing, the cessation of the manna, reaping the crops. Now you don't have to depend on um, God bringing this bread-like substance every morning because you're in a land that is uh, flowing with milk and honey and fruits and you can live off the land. Now there's one more significant event that happened in Joshua chapter 5 and uh, maybe this is the most significant one and it's this, a Christophany verses 13 through 15. Now, what's a Christophany? It's the pre-incarnate appearance of Christ in the Old Testament, where we read about this several times in the Old Testament, where Jesus himself appears to someone. And let's read about it in uh, verses 13 through 15, Christophany recognizing the commander, um, verse 13. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, so Joshua had sent out spies to look at Jericho, and they brought back a report. But now they're very near Jericho, just a few miles away, and, and General Joshua wants to see Jericho firsthand. He wants to see exactly what he's facing, and so he's, uh, he's venturing off from Gilgal, and he's headed toward Jericho. And as we read in our scripture reading, he looks up and he sees a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. That would get your attention. In, in, in our culture today, it might be uh, with someone with their, their gun 
out and pointed. And so Joshua is startled, and he asks a very natural question, basically saying, friend or foe? Uh, Whose side are you on here? And notice the answer, verse 14. Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. As commander of the army of Yahweh, really as commander of the world, as commander of the universe, I have now come. Notice how Joshua responds. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence. It's interesting when you begin to go through Scripture and you read about people who have a, an encounter with, with the living God, whether it's God the Father or a Christophany of, of Jesus like Joshua did here in Joshua chapter 5, but pretty much the same response when anybody has an encounter with God is that they are flat on their face. They prostrate themselves on the ground. And so Joshua uh, sees this individual who he recognizes as the commander of the army of Yahweh, and it says he fell face down to the ground. It's the same response that Saul had when uh, he heard the voice of Jesus on the road to Damascus. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And it says when Saul saw that light and heard that voice, he fell to the ground. It's the same description of the Apostle John in Revelation chapter 1 when John sees a vision of who Jesus is with with eyes of fire and and hair like wool. And it says that John, when he sees Jesus, fell down at his feet as though dead. And so here's Joshua. He falls down flat on his face when he sees the commander of the Lord's army. It was Mercy Me who years ago wrote a very popular song. I'm sure most of you have heard it sung, I Can Only Imagine. And in that song, they're imagining, what is it going to be like when we see Jesus someday? I mean, the Bible says we'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. I'm not sure we'll be standing very long. And so the words of that song, I Can Only Imagine, are these words, I can only imagine what it will be like when I walk by your side. I can only imagine what my eyes would see when your face is before me. I can only imagine, surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus, or in awe of you, be still? Will I stand in your presence, or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to? to speak at all. Well, when Joshua comes face to face with the commander of the Lord's army, it says he fell face down to the ground in reverence. And he asked him, what message does my Lord have for a servant? What would you have me to do? And the commander of the Lord's army replied, verse 15, Take off your sandals, for the place you are standing is holy. Joshua, I want you to take off your sandals because you're in the presence of God himself. You're in the presence of holiness. This is Joshua's burning bush moment. Moses faced the same thing 40 years earlier when the burning bush called him to be the leader of of the nation of Israel. And uh, remember, the same instructions were given to Moses. Moses, I want you to take your shoes off. 
because you're standing on holy ground. And so uh, the fourth significant event that happened at Gilgal was that Joshua has a face-to-face encounter with the commander of the Lord's army. And I had to imagine that this had to encourage Joshua. They're about to embark into military mode. They're about to fight uh, Jericho and that walled city and 29 other cities in the, the land of Canaan. And in Joshua chapter 1, God, when he uh, gave those instructions to Joshua, says, I will be with you. Be strong and courageous. And I'm sure that moment of, of a face-to-face encounter with the commander of the Lord's army encouraged Joshua to fulfill the task that God had called him to do. So four significant events at Gilgal. Circumcision, renewing the covenant. Passover, remembering the crossing 40 years earlier. Cessation of the manna, now you can reap the crops. And a face-to-face encounter, Christophany, recognizing the commander. Now this morning we want to wrap this up by looking at some life lessons from, from each of these. So how can we apply this to our life today? What are some life lessons, some things that we can learn from Joshua chapter 5 and these four significant events? And here's the first one. And this is a quote from Dr. George Sweeting, longtime president of Moody Bible Institute. I think he's now the chancellor of Moody Bible Institute. Dr. Sweeting's got to be in his mid-90s at this point in life. And uh, I heard him say this over and over again in his speaking and his writings. The Christian life is a series of new beginnings. The Christian life is a series of new beginnings. Not our justification. That's a one-time event. When we receive Christ into our heart and life, we are, we are eternally secure. doesn't need to be repeated over and over again. But in our sanctification, in our growth in grace, as we... We live the Christian life. Dr. Sweeting says the Christian life is a series of new beginnings. This is what Israel needed uh, when they got into the promised land. They needed a new beginning, didn't they? They hadn't followed the the circumcision that, that God had instructed. They hadn't been keeping the Passover. And so now they needed a a new beginning, a renewal for the Israelites as they now enter into the promised land. And the same is true for you and me in our Christian walk. Why do we need new beginnings? Well, the hymn, old hymn says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Our our human nature is, is prone to wander away from God, and so we need times and seasons of renewal and dedication in our lives to continue on in our Christian walk. The Christian life is a series of new beginnings. And the great thing is we can have that new beginning at any time. Uh, maybe some, oftentimes God uses um, special seasons for that. I remember the Promise Keepers ministry and, and how uh, that swept the nation and how Thousands of men were flocking to large stadiums, and it was a time of renewal and refreshment. Maybe for young people, it's a time at camp or a vacation Bible school or a special time, but we need those times of renewal in our walk and in our lives. The Christian life is a series of new beginnings, and for Israel, um, they had that new beginning 
there at Gilgal. Second life lesson is this. God has given us the Lord's table, communion, so that we would continually remember the cross. You know, the Passover was for the Israelites to remember the crossing, but God has given us a a tangible sign and symbol to remember the cross. And it's the Lord's table. The words that are carved in front of the communion table at the front of the auditorium, this do in remembrance of me. We talked about this last week, how um, communion and the Lord's table should be a time of priority in our life. That it's a command, it's a matter of obedience, and God wants us to partake of the bread and the cup. Why? To always remember the crossing and the cross. Remember John the Baptist uh, sees Jesus in John chapter 1, and he says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. For thousands of years, the Israelites had offered a, a sacrificial lamb as a, as a portrait of what was to come. And Jesus comes and John says, here's the Lamb of God who once and for all will take away the sin of the world. And Hebrews says when, when Jesus ascended to heaven, he, he sat down at the right hand of God the Father. His work was finished. And so God has given us the Lord's table for us to continually Remember the cross. Number three, the third life lesson from Joshua chapter 5 is this, that God is a faithful provider. God is a faithful provider. For 40 years in the wilderness, God made manna show up like clockwork to feed and supply the needs of his people, even though they were rebellious, disobedient, constantly complaining. God was still faithful to provide. And he sustained them with manna. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 4. It's not the only way he sustained them. It says, your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. I kept your clothes going for 40 years. And my wife would say, that looks like my side of the closet. She has to go in and throw my clothes. I like to keep them for a long time. Like, you got to get rid of it. You've had this for 30 years. So, yeah, isn't that great? God sustained them with food, and, and their clothes didn't wear out, and their, their feet did not swell. God was a faithful provider, and his timing was perfect. Because when they got into the promised land, he says, okay, now you're kind of on your own now. You, you don't need me during this, this challenging time to provide Here's the resources to uh, provide food. God is a faithful provider. I hope you've learned that lesson in your life. Um, God taught Diane and I that lesson early in our lives. We were seminary students, or I was a seminary student in uh, Grand Rapids Baptist Seminary. This is back in 1981. Let me think here. 77, 1977 to 1981. I went through a two years Master of Religious Education program in four years, so just whipped right through that. Um, so we're seminary students, and um, God took us through some lean times. Did not have a lot of money. 
first child was born, and uh, I had been working as a painter and uh, trying to provide. Diane had been working as well, and then uh, uh, Diane's job came to a close, and uh, uh, the painting business got real scarce, and so I got laid off, and uh, so we found ourselves, uh, I'm going to seminary, um, husband, wife, and a little baby, and um, not much money. I'll tell you how lean this was. Um, of course, this is back in the late 70s. We had $100 a week to live on for three people. And it was amazing how God provided during those lean years. Diane had a, a friend that she had grown up with that... Uh, had children a little bit older than our son Nathan at the time, and just out of the blue, about every few months, a box of clothes would come that her kids had grown out of that we could use for our son. We had some friends from Fort Wayne, Indiana that uh, we had known for many years, and uh, uh, her parents were farmers, and they would go back and visit their parents about once a month, and they were chicken farmers, and they would come back with lots of chicken and remember Earl and Shannon Burkott would say, hey, we just got back from Fort Wayne and we've got lots of chicken. Why don't you come over and have a chicken dinner with us? We were attending a church called Northland Baptist Church and uh, I'd known the, the, the pastor, been friends of my uh, parents for a lot of years, uh, Pastor Whitney. And um, there were times, and they, they didn't know how lean our lives were financially, and there were times where uh, we got an occasional benevolent fund gift from the church benevolent fund. I want to tell you it's a lot easier to be on the giving end than on the receiving end of the benevolent gift. And God provided, and very early on we learned in our marriage <laughs> that God is faithful and he will provide for our every need. Philippians 4.19 But my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Well, one more lesson, life lesson from Joshua chapter 5. And it's this. Authentic worship always results in obedience. Authentic worship always results in obedience. And I remember one of my seminary professors, Dr. Ronald Chadwick, would say over and over again, true worshipers are always willing workers. True worshipers are always willing workers. And so Joshua in Joshua chapter 5 sees the, the commander of the Lord's army. He sees uh, Jesus himself is, is the leader of the army, and he falls down, and he says, what do you want me to do, basically? And the commander says, take your shoes off. And it says, and Joshua did so. In Isaiah chapter 6, it says, in the year that King Uzziah died, and King Uzziah had been the king of, of the nation for 52 years, and King Uzziah is dead and now the nation's in turmoil, and Isaiah has a vision of, of God, and he sees the, the vision of God on his throne, and, and the angels are surrounding it and singing, holy, holy, holy. And in Isaiah chapter 6, um, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah says, here am I, send me. 
I'm willing to go, Lord. I've, I've, I've seen you and I've seen your throne. I'm willing to be your mouthpiece. For Saul, when he saw Jesus on the road to Damascus and heard his voice, Saul then ended up what being uh, used of God as a preacher and a, and a missionary. And the Apostle John, when he saw the vision of, of Jesus that we read in Re- Revelation chapter 1, uh, what do you want me to do, Lord? I want you to write. Write down the things that you have seen and heard and write down the things that I'm going to reveal to you. And they all responded with obedience. And so genuine, authentic worship always demands a response. And our response needs to be, Lord, I'm listening. Lord, what would you have me to do? I'm willing to go. I'm willing to do. I'm willing to say whatever you ask me. Well, Joshua chapter 5, there in Gilgal, um, those four significant events is preparing Joshua and preparing the nation for Joshua chapter 6. And we'll look next week as they um, now engage in what seemed like an insurmountable task, the walls of Jericho. And uh, you know that story. And uh, they will come tumbling down. They already have, and we'll look at it next week. But uh, let's, uh, let's remember these uh, life lessons. Uh, the Christian life is a series of new beginnings. Maybe that's what you need this morning, uh, just a new beginning. And you can have that in, uh, as we close the service and just expressing that to God. Um, remember the cross um, and what God has done for us. Maybe some of you need to be reminded that God will meet your every need, not just your financial need. Maybe it's a spiritual need. Maybe it's a friendship need. God is a faithful provider. And then as we worship him, our response is, Lord, what would you have me to do?